Well, we started a new series last week, meaning we talk, take a topic and we talk about it for multiple weeks. And it's titled, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. I think all of us, that would be our desire to make better decisions and have fewer regrets. And so for this week and the next four weeks, we're going to give you five questions to ask to help you to make better decisions and have fewer regrets. I want to start with something that's disturbing this morning. Here it is. Who is the easiest person to deceive? Unfortunately, it's me. (laughs) For me. For you, person in the mirror. Now, it shouldn't be that way. We should be smarter than ourselves, right? (laughs) But it is. In fact, the things that get us into trouble, we think up. We create them. Uh, We make those decisions. The reason I know this is because I'm guilty of doing this exact thing. So the question is, what do we do about this easy, easiness to deceive ourselves. So that's what we're going to try and, try and tackle this morning. Now, a little review. We said this series based on the idea that good questions help make good decisions. Better questions make better decisions. More questions, better decisions. So that's why we're talking about questions that will help us make better decisions. Now, it takes more than just the question. Uh, you have to be able to ask the question, talk about pausing and stopping long enough to ask yourself the questions, but that's not enough. You have to have honesty in answering. That's the topic for today. Answer honestly, truly. Tell yourself the truth. Not easy to do all the time. And then once you realize what that is, then to actually act on the truth. Now, one reason this is so important is because these decisions don't only affect you, do they? None of us live in vacuum. All of us have relationships. Uh, some of us have, we're still in a, a nuclear family. And so my decisions affect my wife. Uh, she's the only one that lives in my house at this point. Earlier on, it affected my kids. Uh, as a pastor, it affects people in the, our congregation, etc. So if not for ourselves, at least for the people we care about, we should desire to make good or better decisions. Now, I gave you a verse last week. It's going to be the, the foundation verse for the series. And I asked you to memorize this, or at least memorize the four concepts. And so I asked in the first service, how many people did? How many people did in this service? Exactly what I expected. Nobody in either service <laughs> memorized the verse. So again, by the end of this series, you will have it memorized, or at least the concepts. So we have a contrast, two sides of a coin. First, the prudent person, the wise person, the smart person. That's one one side. What do do they do? Well, they foresee danger and take precautions. They see consequences. They see what's going to be the result of this decision and then take steps to avoid those things. That's what the wise person does. That's what the prudent person does. They see long-term effects, see things are connected. Flip side of the coin is this, the simpleton, the naive person, the not-so-smart person, um, dumb person, goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Just full steam ahead, doesn't matter what happens. All I'm concerned about is right now, negative consequences in the future, and I'm not concerned myself with that. So, prudent person, thinks about the future. Simple person, just devil could care less. 
So I came across a verse that connects the prudent person with what we're talking about today. Earlier on in Proverbs, Solomon wrote this, the prudent person understands where they're going. They see out there in the future. But fools, simpletons, deceive themselves. Now, like I said, the easiest person to deceive is, is ourselves. And what happens is I call it a salesperson in our head that sounds like us, right? Salesperson in our head, and it talks us into or convinces us or suggests things to us that we, one part of us wants to do. So, the fool does that, the prudent person doesn't. So, we want to help make, help you all be prudent or wise people. And so, again, on the, on the screen, the easiest person to deceive is you. Again, it shouldn't be that way. <laughs> we should be smarter than that, but that's the truth. Now, <clears throat> when you deceive yourself, what you're really doing is lying to yourself. Now, did you ever have to deal with a liar? Did you have to lead a liar? Did you have to work with a liar? Um, if you ever employed someone as a liar, what do, you, what do you eventually wind up doing? You have to fire them, don't you? You can't trust them. So, on the outline, fire a liar. So, when you're deceiving yourself, what do you need to do? You need to fire you, or you need to fire the deciving, deceiving you. And hire what? Someone who is honest, someone who is truthful, someone who wants to know uh, what's true and, and to follow through. Uh, one thing we do is we justify our lies, right? We justify, we find make-up reasons, if you will. We, I like the word rationalize what these decisions are, these lies are. <clears throat> In fact, I put on the outline, you can convince yourself about almost about anything. I use this silly illustration in the first service. There are people who convince themselves that smoking is not harmful to their health, even though all science would tell them it is. And like myself, they may know somebody that lived to be 95 and smoked all their lives. Does that mean that smoking is not harmful to yourself? So we can convince ourselves best about anything. We can even make up uh, excuses or reasons for what we want to do. <clears throat> I don't know if any of you have been in a, in a recovery program, uh, AA or some other kind, but what they teach you in there, in fact, basic teaching, what they start off with is this. Um, you have to be honest. In fact, I put on the outline, rigorous honesty is the first rule of recovery. So a person gets up in AA, for example, and they say, Hi, I'm Alan. I am not was an alcoholic. I'm what? I am an alcoholic. The truth is, I have that tendency, and it's never going to go away, and I have to deal with it the rest of my life. So if you and I want to do better, we have to be rigorous, rigorously honest with ourselves. So to avoid regrets... We need to tell ourselves the truth. Back on your outline. Even if it makes us feel bad. Now, this goes countercultural. Uh, our culture teaches we shouldn't do anything that makes us feel bad. I can't imagine, I, my kids are grown, but I can't imagine trying to parent with the idea that I can never make my kids feel bad. 
what does discipline do? It makes your kids feel bad. Um, when, we, when we discipline ourselves, sometimes it makes us feel bad short-term for long-term gain, doesn't it? So tell yourself the truth, even if you don't want to hear it. <laughs> and sometimes we don't. Bottom line is this. You and I can never get to where we need to be or want to be until we acknowledge where we actually are. We was just on a trip to, to Raleigh, North Carolina this week. And when we finished up on Wednesday helping my brother lay hardwood flooring, um, we had this app on my wife's phone that says, okay, take us home. All right? So the app knows, because of GPS, the app knows where we are and where we want to go, and so we just follow the instructions, right? This turn, that turn, etc. But if the app didn't know where you were, it couldn't tell you where to go, could it? Now, on the other hand, if we refuse to admit where we are, what do we call people, or what, what adjectives do we use for people who fail to admit where they are? Uh, might be multiple, but I'll give you one. It's irresponsible. Right? A person that doesn't admit who they are, take responsibility for what they are doing or where they are, we call them irresponsible. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't want to be called irresponsible. So we need to develop, I'm going to call it a habit, to tell yourself the truth. And so that's where this question comes up, this integrity question or this honesty question, is ask yourself, pause and ask, am I being honest with myself about this decision? Simple question. Am I being honest about myself? Or on the other side, am I justifying I thought this was cute. Justifying is just lying, right? Just lying. So, am I being honest or am I trying to justify my what decision I want to make? <clears throat> I added a word to the question that may be helpful. I think it's helpful, helpful to me. Am I being honest with myself really? Shouldn't have to add that, add that word, but it's hard for us to be honest with ourselves. So, Stop and ask, am I really being honest with myself about this situation, about this relationship, why I started this relationship, or why I ended this relationship? Am I, am I being honest uh, about why I did this or why I didn't do that? Am I being honest with myself why I went to college or why I didn't go to college, or why I bought this, or why I got into debt, or why the questions are endless. So the basic question is, am I really being honest about this decision? <clears throat> See, the fact is, you and I can sell ourselves on bad ideas all the time. We've all made bad decisions, right? We sold ourselves on making a bad decision. I got to thinking about a huge decision. Those, anybody that's been married, if you would ask them, is an affair a good idea, everybody would say no, right? All right. For a married person to have an affair. Well, the statistics show that a, 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 an alarming amount of people do have affairs. Well, how could that happen? I'm using this illustration hoping that nobody's listening to me. It's their situation. Well, somehow, 
Somewhere along the line, you talked yourself into this affair is a good idea, even though it wasn't. In fact, we've all made these decisions, then we ask ourselves afterwards this question. What was I thinking when I got into this relationship or I got into this financial situation or whatever it might be? What was I thinking? The reality is, guess what? You weren't thinking, were you? Or you weren't thinking straight, uh, uh, wisely. You were selling yourself on that idea. You were selling yourself basically on an idea that had short-term gain with maybe long-term negative consequences. So the idea again is to hit pause. All right? When you start talking yourself into <laughs> the salesperson in your head starts talking into something that you don't know quite right. Hit pause <clears throat> anytime that happens. The reason we need to hit pause is because we need time to kind of figure out what's going on in our heads. But the second reason is you and I rarely, if ever, have to talk ourselves or sell ourselves on a good idea, do we? We may have to <laughs> work at doing it. Well, it's a good idea to read my Bible. Well, it's a, a discipline or a work or it's a habit to sit down and read your Bible. I was laying hardwood floors this week, and when you deal with wood, guess what happens eventually? you get a piece of wood in your fingers. All right? So I got a splinter on Wednesday. Now, you have an option when you have a splinter. It hurts a little bit, but you could ignore it because I used to have to dig it out with a needle, and that really hurts. But if I don't take it out, guess what happens? Eventually, it hurts worse. So deal with the hurt, short-term hurt, for the long-term gain. Now, is it natural to choose what's best for us? Let me ask you that question. Do we naturally always choose what's best for us? And the answer is what? No. <laughs> we often make unwise or bad decisions. Hopefully not often. Now, this is not original with the Bible. Um, so I came across a statement by um, somebody you might have studied in history, Francis Bacon. He lived in the 17th century in England. He was a philosopher. And he, and he explains this perfectly, and it's a little bit strange wording because it's Old English. The human understanding, when it is once adopted an opinion, all right, so I've made my decision, adopted my opinion, and draws all things else to support and agree with it. So I go out and find people or something is written or something is said that agrees with what I want to believe. Then notice what it says. And though there be greater number and weight of instances to be found on the other side, we either neglect them or despise them. We hate them. So it's, you ever make the pros and cons list? Here's the pros of doing this. Here's the cons of doing this. Have you ever did a decision where the con made the decisions even though the cons were longer or greater than the, the pros? All done that, right? We have a word for this. We call it confirmation bias. We find information that supports what we already believe or want to believe. I got to think about this with diet and exercise. <clears throat> we convince, us, convince ourselves whatever food we want to eat is healthy. All right? You can find online somebody that says almost anything is healthy. Sugar is healthy, whatever it might be. 
Exercise-wise, most of you know I'm a runner. I don't like to do strength training. Well, I know strength training is good for me, but I don't like doing it. So if I do anything, I run. I'm trying to do some of the strength training. But I can convince myself easily that what's really important is the running because it, it's uh, aerobic and it helps my heart and lungs and the stuff inside is more important than the muscles on the outside. Even though it's not true, I can convince myself. It's a com confirmation bias. Now, in some of these bad decisions we've made in the past, somebody has warned us, haven't they? Health decisions, health professionals may have warned us. Relationship decisions when you were home and your parents, maybe you were dating this person or like this person, your parents said, nah, that's not, they're not a quality person. And maybe you pursued it and, and suffered for it and, and hopefully they didn't tell you, I told you so. But often we are warned and we still make those decisions. We have no excuse. So why do we do it? Well, we're going to go back, back and look at some, a story from the Old Testament. I'm going to fill you in with a little historical background. It's about 600 B.C. before Christ. And we're going to talk about a guy named Jeremiah. He wrote one of the books in the Bible. He's a prophet, so consequently a major prophet. So he was an um, advisor to the kings. Now, at this point, the northern kingdom, the north half, northern half of Israel, has already been uh, ended. Um, we're going to talk about the last three kings of the southern kingdom or Judah around Jerusalem. <clears throat> and so, again, Jeremiah brings the word of God to the kings. Now, these kings, we're going to find out, weren't very godly people. So the first one was this, King Jehoiakim. He was a teenager when he became king, like 18 years old. At this point, they are vassals. You know that word? They're paying tribute to to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. He's, the, he's their king. So they have to send him a bunch of money. They send him a bunch of money every year. Then the Babylonians leave him alone. So he's a king for a couple of years, and all of a sudden he decides, I don't want to send the money anymore. Jeremiah says, bad idea, but he's a king, and a king can do whatever they want. So he doesn't send the money. In fact, he does something even worse. He aligns himself, or we would say changes banks, because instead of paying the Babylonians, he starts paying the Egyptians, who are their enemies. And the Egyptians had just defeated the Babylonians, so they weren't in a very good mood. And so when Jehoiakim decides not to send the money, Nebuchadnezzar sends his army to besiege Jerusalem. After time, the siege is successful, they conquered Jerusalem, and so what did he do with the king? Well, Nebuchadnezzar had a habit of collecting kings. You collect things, uh, maybe you collect some kind of uh, albums or, or CVDs, DVDs or uh, CDs or maybe you collect, I don't know, to some kind of toy or whatever. Most of us collect something. Well, Nebuchadnezzar collected kings. So when he conquered a, a, a country or a nation, he would carry the king off to Babylon. He wouldn't just carry him off, he would blind them. And then when he had a big celebration or party, he would bring these kings out to show his power. And they would, they would be chained together, but they would walk one hand on the shoulder of the one in front of them, of course, because they were all blind. So that's what happened to 
Jehoiakim. But you need a king. So Nebuchadnezzar appoints the next king. His name is Jehoiachin. He's also a teenager. And for whatever reason, after three months, Nebuchadnezzar changes his mind and he carries Jehoiachin back to Babylon and blinds him and he's part of his collection again. But you need to have a king. And you think, nobody wants to be the king because what happens to kings? But uh, Nebuchadnezzar appointed King uh, Zedekiah, who is also the uncle of the former king. And he becomes king. Jeremiah says, gives him the word of God. But Jer- Zedekiah doesn't, wasn't really interested in spiritual things or things of God. So we put a verse on the screen uh, that describes Zedekiah. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he refused to humble himself. And when the prophet Jeremiah spoke to him directly from the Lord. So Jeremiah would say, hey, this is a bad idea. He said, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. So after a couple of years, he decided, just like his predecessor, to stop paying money to, to Babylon. Same thing happened. They send the army to besiege the city. And after a while, Zedekiah said, oh, I made a mistake. Jeremiah, can you do something? He said, no, it's too late. But before that, Jeremiah did something. This time he said, okay, the king won't listen to me. Maybe the people will listen to me. So he took his message to the people. What do you think the king thought of that? The king didn't like that. And some of you know the story. What did they do? The king put Jeremiah in a, in a cistern in a, a kind of a dry well. But eventually he pulls him out and says, okay, I made a mistake. Jeremiah says, it's too, too late. So he tries to escape at night with his family. He gets caught. So... The last thing Zedekiah sees is the soldiers killing his children, his children, his family. And then, of course, they blind him and carry him off to Babylon. Now, why do these kings deceive themselves? Why do they make these bad decisions? Why do you and I deceive ourselves and make these bad decisions? Well, Jeremiah explains it in one uh, one of the things he wrote in the book of Jeremiah. He said, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. That's a pretty strong statement, right? There's nothing more deceitful than our own hearts. And the problem is deceitful is hard to see, isn't it? It's difficult to detect. Otherwise, it wouldn't be deceiving, would it? So our hearts deceive us and it's hard to to detect it, it, it tricks us. It uh, convinces us of stuff that we shouldn't believe or think. Now, one way we do this, I believe, is this way. Uh, usually starts out with a want. I want this. might not be good for me, but I want it anyway. But it's hard to justify a want. It's hard to be deceived by a want. So what our salesperson in our head starts to tell us is, this is really not a want, it's a need. You really need this. You need this new car, this new TV, new phone, new whatever it is. And once your mind switches from want to need, then it's easily, much easily deceived. So it goes on. Not only is it <laughs> more deceitful than anything else, it's incurable. Meaning what? We can never fix it. We can never get to the place where the heart's not deceitful. We're never going to get to the place where we don't have to deal with this deceitful heart, which means we have to have constant 
supervision of our own hearts. Otherwise, bad decisions lead to regrets. But he doesn't end there. He says one other thing, which I think we all would agree. You can't understand it. I can't understand why I did that. I can't understand why I didn't do that. No one can understand it. So, we've all said again, I don't understand why I decided what I decided. I don't understand why I did what I did. I don't understand why I didn't do that. Now we basically know why, right? Because we have deceitful hearts. So, here's our question, our integrity question. Is, am I being honest with myself? Really? Have a heart-to-heart with yourself. Hold yourself accountable. See, the problem is most of us don't do this, do we? So we don't want to be like most people. We want to be different. We want to be wiser. We want to have, make better decisions. We want to have fewer regrets. So here, ask yourselves this. Am I telling myself the truth or am I selling myself a regret? Am I telling myself the truth or selling myself a regret? Again, ask yourself, why? Why did I get into this relationship? Why did I end this relationship? Why did I really get divorced? Why did I really drop out of college? Why did I really buy that? Why did I really make this decision, that decision? Are you telling yourself the truth or selling yourself a regret? Because if you have a regret, you are selling yourself something. So again, the heart, it's hard to hear, but the heart is more deceitful than anything else. You can't cure it. So the next verse, Jeremiah goes on to say this, but, but. Okay, heart's deceitful, but the Lord searches all hearts and examines secret motives. Of course, God knows what's going on up here, right? Then He gives all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. In fact, God sometimes is merciful, isn't He? Doesn't always. But we often suffer the consequences of our decisions, bad decisions especially. So, let's decide. Let's decide. I will not lie to myself. I will not deceive myself. Even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. See, the problem with lying to yourself is this. A lie um, imprisons you. A lie captures you. And none of us want to be in prison, do we? We all want to be free. And Jesus promised us, as a Jesus follower we could be set free. So I wanted to end with those words from Jesus. You want to be free? Jesus said, people who believe in Him, to the people who believe in Him, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, and hopefully you soon become one, you are truly my disciples or Jesus followers if you remain faithful to my teachings. Okay, so we have wisdom in here. God tells us a lot of wise things to do. If we... If we just did them, we'd be be better off, right? And then he says this, and you will know the truth. You won't lie to yourself. You won't deceive yourself. 
And what's so a great, amazing, fundamental about the truth is truth will set you free. You want to be free? Truth will set you free. So, here's your homework assignment, just kind of common sense. In what present or current circumstance do you need to ask? Our integrity question. Am I being honest with myself, really? About this relationship, about this financial decision, about this health decision, about this work decision. I read a statistic. More people changed jobs this past year than a percentage of people changed jobs this past year than any time in history. Right? Why? Someone was because they just got tired of the job. They didn't decided I'd rather do something I like rather than something I don't like. Some was to get promotion. There's so many jobs out there, right? So many people need. In fact, somebody here this morning told me they just changed jobs a couple of weeks ago. So, personal for all of us. In what current circumstance do you need to ask, am I being honest with myself, really? Help you make wiser decisions. End up with fewer regrets. Let me pray with you, and then we'll continue this next week. Uh, Father God, we thank you for the wisdom of your word. We thank you that you tell us the truth about ourselves, that we deceive ourselves. And so we need to, we can't fix it, so we need to deal with it. And the way we deal with it is being honest with ourselves. To pause and stop. Is this the honest, am I being honest? Is this the wise thing to do? This is the best thing to do for myself, but not just for myself, but those I care about. But not just those I care about, but you, God. Are you honored by this decision? And we pray for anyone that's not a Jesus follower, that they would take the time to, hey, consider this. Right now, I'm not in relationship with God. In fact, I'm at odds with God. I'm a sinner, and he's a holy God. But he did everything he could to fix that for us. He sent his son Jesus to die for us and conquer death. And if we'll confess our sins to him, say, yes, I'm a sinner. I turn my back on you, God. Confess it. Uh, ask for forgiveness. God promises to give us that. Give us new life, a new life. Be born again in relationship with God, not just for this, this uh, history, but for eternity with God. So we'd, we would pray that you would make that decision. Uh, most of us are Jesus followers, God, and we need to deal with our hearts. We thank you that you give us a, a formula, a way we can make better decisions and honor you. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.